You are listening to seminars at Hadley. This seminar is Career and Internship Opportunities with NASA, presented by Lauren D. Eigelhart, Esteban Morales, and Kenneth Silberman, moderated by Larry Muffet. Welcome to seminars at Hadley. My name is Larry Muffet. I'm a member of Hadley's seminars team. I work in curricular affairs, and I'm leader of Hadley's Veterans Initiative. Today's webinar topic is Careers and Internship Opportunities with NASA. We are fortunate to have three distinguished presenters today. Lauren D. Engelhart is the Deputy Director of the Equal Opportunities Programs Office, EOPO, at Goddard Space Flight Center. She assists the Director in Policy Formation, Implementation, Consulting, and Strategic Management of the Civil Rights, Equal Opportunity, language access, reasonable accommodation, and affirmative employment programs for the Goddard Space Flight Center. Our second presenter is Esteban Morales. Esteban is the recruitment and outreach manager for NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, where he has worked since May of 2013. As NASA Goddard Space Flight Center's recruitment and outreach manager, he is responsible for developing strategies and plans for broad employee recruitment, placement, outreach programs, and practices designed to attract employees, diversify the center's workforce, restructure the current organization, and retain and develop a viable and efficient workforce. Our third presenter today will be Kenneth Silberman. Ken was instrumental in putting this entire NASA series together with Hadley. Ken is a blind engineer working at Goddard, and we are proud to say a Hadley student. So today, this distinguished panel will discuss internship and opportunities with NASA for Hadley's clientele. Let me welcome our presenters and we'll get underway. I understand Esteban is going to kick it off, so welcome Esteban and I look forward to this with great interest. Thank you very much and welcome everybody. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, one of the things that I'm going to talk about are uh, specifically the NASA agency goals. Uh, as an organization, we're there to extend sustain human activities across the solar system, expand scientific understanding of the Earth and the universe in which we live, create innovative new space exploration, science, economic future, advance aeronautics research for societal benefit, enable an institutional capabilities to conduct NASA's aeronautics and space activities. And finally, and most importantly, share NASA with the public, educators, and students to provide opportunities to participate in our mission, foster innovation, and contribute to a strong economy. Uh, NASA has uh, nine different centers across the country. Uh, we're located specifically at Greenbelt, Maryland, uh, near the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, but as an agency, we have nine different centers in different locations, uh, as seen by presentation. Um, I'm not going to get into the specifics of every single center due to time. But I, one thing I can tell you is Goddard specifically focuses on Earth and space science. Today, for today's presentation, I'm going to discuss to you about the federal government's Pathways Program. Uh, although there are three components for the program, uh, NASA, as an agency, primarily uses the Internship Program and the Recent Graduates Program. The Internship Program is primarily for students currently enrolled in high school, vocational trade, and college or universities. The Recent Graduates Program is for uh, individuals that have graduated uh, and it can apply to entry-level opportunities up to two years after receiving their degrees. For veterans, it's up to six years for, of receiving their degrees. The pathway interns' uh, specific requirements are uh, you must be a U.S. citizen, 
you must be currently attending or accepted for an enrollment to an accredited college or university. If you're specifically targeting engineering uh, opportunities at NASA, the engineering program that you uh, must be uh, uh, attending has to be ABET accredited uh, university. And all other programs you can find uh, at the following website through the Office of, uh, through the Department of Education. You must have success, successfully completed at least 30 semester hours, which is usually at a sophomore level. And then specifically, you must have a 2.9 GPA or above. And this is critical primarily because we don't round up. It has to be 2.9 and it can't be 2.85. The recent uh, graduate application program, I'll get a little into more specifics. You can apply for a recent graduate position if you graduate within the degree within the next nine months um, and graduated in, within the last two years. And for veterans, actually specifically, it's actually up to six years, although it says four years there. I apologize about that. Uh, recent graduates near the end of academic seminars. And you can find both uh, vacancies on the USA jo jo Jobs website. These are the preferred fields of study. And NASA as an organization, as an agency, focused primarily on STEM majors, where 70% STEM driven and 30% everything else. So when I mean STEM majors, I'm primarily discussing science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Uh, for the other, for everything else, it could be anything from business related or other related majors in the non administrative, accounting, economics, finance, information systems, communication, public relations, and human resources. So some of the benefits when you are uh, accepted as a Pathways in, intern or recent grad, you are allowed federal government like a federal civil servant. Uh, you'd be you know, promotion eligible. You'd be able to attain awards during your time here for your performance. You have accessibility to health insurance, life insurance, uh, the ability to uh, have retirement through the thrift savings plan, and you also get annual and sick leave and military leave. You'd get federal holidays, and uh, with, with uh, budgets being available, you'd also be eligible for tuition assistance. So how do you become a Pathways student uh, or intern or grad? Well, one of the first and most important things you need to do is you need to have a USA jo Jobs profile. And how do you attain that? Well, one of the specific things is you go to usajobs.gov. You fill out the necessary information that's requested for your profile. You can add different resumes up. Um, and you can create a search engine within it so you can get NASA vacancies directly forwarded to your email address. Um, for NASA Pathways opportunities, you can go to the following website, http colon forward slash forward slash nasajobs.nasa.gov forward slash default dot html. Another easier way you can find us is just by doing a Google search and typing in NASA and Pathways. Make sure that as you uh, develop this profile that you definitely develop a search engine uh, so you can actually be able to get forwarded all the NASA opportunities. Um, so as you apply for the vacancy announcements here at NASA, I think it's important to know specifically about what do the HR's uh, uh, requirements specifically, what do we look at? And what we're providing here is a few resume tips for a professional resume. 
Uh, the most important things you have to have a professional email address. You should definitely look into creating a professional message on your voicemail. Check with your references because we do check references and there's been times when we do follow up with reference individuals haven't been informed that we did call in. Check your spelling and grammar and include your major education factors such as GPA, graduation, degree level, major and relevant coursework. So in addition to the following items that I just discussed, I a federal resume is a little different than a corporate resume. We ask you for a little bit more experience. Uh, a few of the things that you have to consider is you have to think like an employer. Federal resumes can be a little bit longer and require more information than private and, and sector and nonprofit resumes. And don't leave a block, any box blank uh, as you're filling out the application. As you describe the experience, uh, we recommend students on a method that we utilize here, uh, which is called the SAR method, uh, which stands for the situation, the action, and the result as you're describing your experience. A lot of students and graduate students have the tendency of putting information as, as, as uh, very limited information on their resume. Managers here at NASA specifically would like to know uh, what you've done during your past uh, uh, experience, such as describing a situation of a former employer, telling us specifically what you did, uh, the actionable action that you took during that time there, and what were the results that, that uh, were attained during your time there um, at that specific uh, employer of choice. Um, use action-driven words such as managed, assisted, responded, planned, coordinated, tested, developed, spearheaded, etc. Include special skills like computer proficiency and language ability. Definitely plan ahead. Uh, we all know that uh, being a student is tough when you're managing a full-time uh, full you know, schedule and probably a full-time work schedule. So make sure you allow plenty of time to thoroughly proofread complete your application. Most importantly and definitely, uh, please apply by the deadline. Uh, for the following information, if you have any questions for us, you can uh, contact us at the following website at gscfc-pathways-office at mail.nasa.gov, or you can definitely send me an email at esteban, which is E-S-T-E-B as in boy, A-N dot morales, M-O-R-A-L-E-S at nasa.gov. With that being said, thank you very much. And if anyone has any questions or pass it along to Lauren. Well, I've got a question for you. Do you all at NASA scan resumes? I know that's a big thing now in the corporate world uh, to scan them looking for certain buzzwords or keywords. Do you, do you all get involved with that? And if you do, what would be some suggestions to help people make sure that they've got the right sorts of things included in there? So. For, for, as a recruitment manager, we don't specifically scan resumes. Uh, the resumes I receive, whether it be electronic, um, we collect uh, user communication information such as email address and phone number. Uh, we actually, after that, we don't hold the resume. An official application uh, through our systems, uh, you do submit. The system doesn't necessarily look for buzzwords when you're applying for the pathways uh, program. There's actually only three things uh, that the system specifically looks at when you're forwarded to uh, an ATAR specialist, and that's your GPA, that's the major that you're studying, 
uh, definitely the, the graduation date. Um, one of the specific things that I, I, I forgot to mention with the internship program is that you have to actually be able to work at a NASA center uh, for 640 hours, which is about close to four to six months of work before you graduate. So if it's for an internship program, and for example, it says that you graduate in December of 20, 2017, then you won't have enough time to specifically get the 640 hours. So those are specifically what the system looks at when you apply directly to, to uh, NASA STARS. Great. That was very helpful. So I understand Lauren's next. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. This is Lauren Eigelhart. Uh, thank you for being uh, present for this presentation. The goal of NASA Goddard uh, Space Flight Center is to ensure equal employment opportunity, diversity, and inclusion for all individuals, applicants, and employees with disabilities. There are relevant laws, rules, and regulations that ensure equal access to the benefits and privileges of employment for individuals with disabilities. The relevant laws and executive orders, I will begin by explaining what they are. The landmark decision is the Rehabilitation Act. It's a federal law. Federal agencies are required to provide reasonable accommodation to an employee or job applicant with a disability unless doing so would cause an undue hardship, which technically means significant difficulty or expense. It, we also have to ensure that technology is accessible for both employees and applicants with disabilities. And this law applies to any federally funded or sponsored pro programs. The Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA Amendments Act of 2008 is a federal law which all federal agencies are required to follow and clearly NASA Goddard Space Flight Center is in adherence. The intent of that ADA Amendments Act of 2008 was to broaden the definition of an individual with disabilities so that federal agencies focus on reasonable accommodation and not interpreting whether an individual employee or applicant um, has a disability but focuses on more whether we're able to accommodate so they come in and can get the job going immediately. In 2010, uh, President George W. Bush signed Executive Order 13548. The goal was to increase the federal employment of individuals with disabilities across the federal government and to ensure that we are showing ourselves as a model federal, as model agency. Federal government should be a model agency for all individuals and specifically for individuals with disabilities. That was the goal of that executive order. There were goals placed on all federal agencies in terms of hiring. A 2% individuals with targeted disabilities and um, up to a total of 7% of all individuals with disabilities within the workforce. Most recently, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission set a final rule on affirmative action for people with disabilities in federal employment in 2017, January 3rd, 2017. It required agencies of the federal government to adopt employment goals for individuals with disabilities, and the 2010 goals. There's supposed to be sub-goals for individuals with targeted dis disabilities, provide personal assistance services to certain employees who need them because of a disability, and meet a number of other requirements designed to improve the recruitment, hiring, retention, and advancement of individuals with disabilities. 
According to that affirmative action uh, final rule, the goal is now to have 12% of the federal workforce to be individuals with disabilities and continue that 2% targeted disability goal. By, one, by January 3rd, 2018, all federal would be reviewed to see whether or not they are meeting that new Equal Employment Opportunity Commission goal for affirmative employment of individuals with disabilities. Most recently, in September 18, 2017, there was a EEOC guidelines or directives on PAS, which stands for Personal Assistance Services. And personal assistance services are services that help individuals who, because of a targeted disability or targeted disabilities, require assistance to perform basic activities of daily living, like eating and using the restroom. The Equal Opportunity Program's office a mission is to cultivate a culture of equity, fairness, and inclusion where diverse talent is empowered and leveraged to advance Goddard Space Flight Center's mission and operations in service of the community. Some of the key roles of a staffer within our office, the disability program manager for individuals with disabilities falls into five main areas, advice and education, workforce interface and integration, monitoring and workforce data analysis, community outreach and recruitment, and measuring EEO performance. I'm gonna break those down in terms of what the disability program manager in our equal opportunity programs office does in those areas. So the key strategies implemented to promote equity, diversity, and inclusion of individuals with disabilities in terms of advice and education has been training the managers, supervisors on reasonable accommodation. A Schedule A, which is a non-competitive hiring process for individuals with disabilities training has been provided. We have a reasonable accommodation brochure for all employees and applicants, a fair selection brochure, management directive 715 brochure, and an assistive technology brochure. We have a quarterly newsletter in conjunction with the Office of Human Capital Management where there's a guidance section which allows people to bring forth any questions they may have in regards to any EEO matters and to be provided a, a direct response to the questions in that people connection guidance. And there's also a power and privilege disability uh, workshop that takes place here at Goddard Space Flight Center. In terms of workforce interface and integration, we do have a uh, reasonable accommodation policy uh, for NASA for all the centers in which uh, separate center within NASA to, to adhere to. There's a reasonable accommodation program here at, at Goddard. And we're pleased to say that we have centralized funding for reasonable accommodation requests. We have a reader scribe service contract. We have a sign language interpreting contract. We have an assistive technology lab, an on-site facility for testing, analyzing, demonstrating and showcasing assistive technology for um, employees here at NASA. We have a, an equal accessibility advisory committee made up of, of employees as well as contractors within the Goddard Space Flight Center community who work on um, providing qualitative data as, as members who are on the ground within the agency to tell us about concerns that may be taking place 
with individuals with disabilities in the community to ensure there's proper inclusion within the Goddard Space Flight Center of individuals with disabilities. Commitment from the center director from the top down, the Equal Accessibility Advisory Committee and the Equal Opportunity Programs Office provide annual briefing uh, to the center director and um, are provide over workforce data in reference to individuals with disabilities in relationship to um, outreach and recruitment and, and, and hiring, uh, separation, awards, promotions. So we look at those, those areas within the workforce for individuals with disabilities. So uh, monitoring our workforce is something we do for all race, national origin, and, and individuals with disabilities um, data to each directorate. We look at whether there's a conversion of Schedule A hires. Um, when an individual comes in on non-competitive hiring under Schedule A, there's a two-year probationary period. We look to see if after those two years, individuals are then provided, if it is satisfactory, um, performance during the two-year time frame. If they're provided with the normal track of a career, uh, conditional to a career tenured employee. There's EVS analysis. We do trend analysis on the um, employment, federal employment viewpoint survey. We look at a reasonable accommodation request within the agency. Community outreach and recruitment. We do extensive collaboration with the human capital on outreach and recruitment and uh, are ensuring that we uh, recruit at um, agencies that have that are minority serving uh, institutions, uh, agencies such as Gallaudet, and um, reach out to the Disability Employment Programs Office of other educational centers to inform them when there are open uh, positions, other universities, to ensure that they're aware of open positions at, at NASA Goddard. And as with all other federal agencies, we too do an annual uh, report to the Federal Equal Employment Opportunity Commission in regards to our management directive 715, how we are in terms of our workforce, in terms of outreach, recruitment, uh, retention, awards, promotions of, of our individuals with disabilities. And we view if there are trends in, in, in uh, EEO complaints to see if there um, is a need to make a change and if there's any concerns regarding equity in essence for our individuals with disabilities within the workplace. We look to see if there is a higher trend of complaints based on uh, disability. 2% of Goddard's workforce consists of individuals with targeted disabilities since actually 2014. 7% of our uh, Goddard workforce consists of targeted and non-target individuals with disabilities since 2014. We scored 75 in the percentage of positive for individuals with disabilities for the 2016 Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey, which is the new um, inclusion quotient index, which is broken down in categories such as supportive, open, empowering, cooperative, and fair. Any score above 65 is viewed as a strength for the, for the agency, and we are at 75 for all of those categories as a whole at Goddard Space Flight Center. 
are there any questions and questions at this point? I do have a question. Um, yeah. Quite a few of these seminars down through the years that I've worked on, it's been a sort of debate back and forth. I've heard people ha have one side of the argument and make a pretty cogent argument, and then the other side also make a cogent argument with the whole thing of disclosing your disability up front. Um, there are people that advocate totally disclosing up front and uh, um, letting letting the employer, the prospective employer, know that. And then I've, you know, I had other people that have very rational arguments and why they think that's a bad idea. So, uh, seeing you're you're a professional in the field, how do you come down on that sort of question? Um, the way I would come down is to say that we're looking to ensure that we get qualified individuals with disabilities. So whether you're an individual with disability or without a disability, the overall goal is to have a qualified employee. Now there is no need to disclose that you have a disability unless you need an accommodation at that interview stage. And you may very well need an accommodation at that, at that stage. Otherwise, if you have been deemed the most qualified of the individuals who've been interviewed or, or if you've just gone through the uh, submission of an application process, once you become hired and on board, then you can notify the agency that you have a disability and if, if, and, and if you need an accommodation to immediately notify clearly the agency because we want to know that you um, can come in and start performing immediately. So that, that's my recommendation. All individuals, once they come on board, have an opportunity to fill out what is called the SF-256 federal form. And in that form, individuals upon hire then can note. Uh, there is clearly no negativity from your noting it in, in the confidential record because it is, there is, it is not um, pinpoint it to that particular individual in the HR records. So we clearly recommend once an individual is hired for them to denote if they are individual with a disability. NASA as an agency will be reserving surveying their workforce utilizing the FSF sorry 256 form. We happen to be as an agency an agency with um, employees that stay through the age of 80, let's say. We have uh, employees who, who stay for the, the length of their federal career here at NASA and an aging workforce. And so we, what an individual may have been, whether they were, may have started in, employ, in their employment career and not been an individual with disability, maybe now in their career, they are an individual with a disability. So therefore, we want it noted we clearly value them as an, as an employee, all of our employees, and, and we would like that to be part of our, our numbers. Great. Also had a question about, let's say we have an applicant with a uh, uh, visual impairment. What would be an example of a reasonable accommodation that you all would make for that particular individual? Uh, items with Braille, if there's, there's a need for Braille. Uh, larger monitors, um, uh, there is some accessibility equipment, and of course right now um, the, the name of it eludes me. That is uh, technology that is utilized on, on um, our um, particular computer system through IT for individuals with disabilities. But know that 
in reasonable accommodations are determined on a case-by-case -case basis. What one individual may need, another might not, and it may not be effective. So we deal with our accommodations in that, in that manner. Excellent. Um, I believe Ken's our next uh, participant. Well, hi, Larry and everybody. Ken Silberman here, and uh, as you can see, I work for the Department of the Office of Education here at Goddard, and we are here to talk about internships today. Now, I want to make a distinction here. Pathways, which Esteban talked about, can lead to employment. Our internships are really educational internships for current students. So, in other words, if you're graduating, and not going on to further schooling, you're not eligible for an Office of Education internship, which is what I'm talking about. Then you would go to Pathways or just look at a job for a job on usajobs.gov. Now, tying in with what Lauren and Esteban said, we're, we are trying to increase the number of students with disabilities. And well, let me put it this way, internships are good for that because if you get an internship, it's sort of like an audition. So if a mentor, what's what we call the people who hire, who bring in the interns, we manage the program and scientists and engineers become the mentors. If they like you, that could lead to a job down the road or it might lead you into the pathways program or directly to a job when you get out of school. In any case, you'll have NASA on your resume, which looks great if you, maybe you'll go to work for one of our contractors or somewhere else in the STEM workforce. So that's what we pipeline. So it's great experience. And the other thing I would say about these internships is, you know, some people say, well, I want a STEM career. And they come here and they find out they actually don't like what they're doing. And it's better to find that out now than before you invest a lot of time and a lot of uh, money in pursuing a career that you really don't want to be in. Now, let's talk about Goddard a little bit. Goddard was the first NASA center that was built from scratch, founded in 1959, and it was named after Dr. Robert Goddard, who first tested liquid-fueled rockets in, I believe, it was the 20s. And uh, Actually, in our atrium right now, uh, in the building where I am now, we have a scale model of Dr. Goddard's first liquid fuel rocket. Um, and we have gone on, to, as Esteban as said, to become the Earth and Space Science Center. We run missions. Uh, basically, we do a lot of interplanetary missions, and we support human space flight. For example, the astronauts who went up and repaired Hubble trained here in mocks up in mock-ups of the uh, shuttle bay and the uh, with a mock-up of the Hubble Space Telescope. The, basically the way it works is our scientists will come up with the missions and the engineering directorate will design the spacecraft to support those missions. The spacecraft and the instruments that that are uh, flown on the on the vehicles themselves. And we do earth and space science exo uh, planetary work as uh, Tom Adora discussed in the last seminar looking at planets outside the solar system. We study stars, we study the, the weather, uh, we run NASCOM which is the NASA Communications Network so that, that was started in the 80s when um, 
Well, we had to use ground stations to communicate with spacecraft going around the world. Now we can communicate uh, directly through the TDRS tracking and data relay satellite system. So we, all your weather, the weather, we don't run the weather satellites, but they're built and designed here and, uh, and launched here. That's, so we do, we do balloons. We do, we fly experiments in aircraft. We do suborbital rockets, sounding rockets that might go up a few hundred kilometers and then take some readings and come down. And that's sort of the history of, of Goddard and we're, we're moving on. And Goddard is broken down into basically what we call our five campuses. We have the main facility here in Greenbelt, Maryland, which is labs and offices and uh, computer systems, supercomputer systems and so forth. We have Wallops Island in Wallops Island, Virginia. That is our launch facility and flight test facility. Uh, we do a lot of aeronautical research. Uh, we have a runway down there we can actually flood and, and uh, drain to simulate rainy conditions on a runway. Uh, we launch suborbital cargo flights to the space station from, from there. Uh, we also just launched satellites into orbit from there, uh, as well as dropping them. I don't know if we still use the Pegasus rockets. They were dropped from L-1011s and could launch satellites into uh, low Earth orbit, very, very uh, small satellites. Let's see. We've got... IVNV, which is, let's see, Independent Verification and Validation Facility, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's in West Virginia. Uh, let's see, Jordan, where is it, West Virginia? Hmm. I'm not sure. Anyway, they basically validate software that's used on spacecraft, make sure it does what it's supposed to do, and uh, so forth. Uh, let's see, what am I missing? To We've got the White Sands Test Facility, where... Uh, well, it's a, it's out near uh, in New Mexico, and that was an alternate shuttle landing site, and we test rockets there, and um, it's also where all the data comes down from the tracking and data relay satellite system that I talked about, and that gets relayed to from there from White Sands to Goddard, and let's see, am I missing? Miss oh, the Goddard Institute for Space Studies in New York, and that. It's on the campus of Columbia University, and it's just what it says. It studies uh, space. Uh, it's, it's, it's offices, and and number of scientists actually work there in astronomy and astrophysics. Let's see, did I get them all? I mm -hmm. think so. Mm -hmm. So NASA has been listed as the best place to work, 2012 to 2016. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because it's – it's kind of, even though it's the government, it's kind of run like a campus. That's what we call it, the campus, where people, people pretty much, it's very casual dress, and we kind of just care that you get the work done. And uh, if you come to work here, there are a lot of clubs you can join, and uh, a lot of after, uh, sort of after hours activities that are run, and we've got cafeterias, with Starbucks, which is always good, and um, Subway, and uh, let's see, some of the some of the cool clubs you might have are scuba diving, skiing, chess, 
taekwondo. There's just a whole bunch. So there's a lot of activities to do other than your work. And it's a beautiful facility, lots of trees and nice lawns and woods. So if you, you know, you kind of get stressed, you can go outside and, and chill out a little bit. And yeah, the people are really, really very nice. And they're smart people doing a a lot of uh, very, very important work. So you run into people who are very driven. Uh, you know, the people studying the environment really, really care about the future of this planet, for example. And so there's a real drive there. And that's, you know, that's why it's a community, basically. And that's why I think it's one of the best places to work. Uh, as you can see here, this goes into what we talked about a little bit before. You know, astronomy, uh, astrophysics, uh, astrobiology, uh, engineering, what they do in supporting the uh, scientists. And, uh, um, Earth science. And Earth science. Helios. And, uh, yes, helioscience, where we study stars. We study uh, star formation, as Tom Medora talked about last time, the sun's eventual future. Um, Hopefully we'll be out of here by then, but it's a million years away, so I wouldn't sweat it, guys. And, uh, you know, so we, we really touch on, on everything, but, but again, we're Earth and space science primarily, and so think of us that way. And, you know, when we talk about space operations here, um, again, that goes back to the TDRS stuff. We, we actually, for all the satellites that you see up there, um, well, you don't see them up there, but see them when they're launched. The, the science satellites like Hubble and Chandra and all these, these in the past ones, the Cosmic Background Explorer, they're flown out of here. So we, we're not just a science research center, we're an operational center. So, for example, when the shuttle was flying, and uh, I'm sure it's also true for the space station, if something were to happen in Houston and that control room were to become non-operational, we can take over from here and continue normal operations with the space station as we could with the space shuttle. And as we could way back in the, in the days of Apollo, it was the same thing. So you go, there's a building here, um, I forget which one it is, but it has a complete duplicate of the control center in Houston. And every satellite has its own mission operations center. The only one that's sort of different is Hubble, which is flown out of, uh, um, um, the uh, Space Telco Telescope Science Institute up in Baltimore with Johns Hopkins. Now, now that I've whet your appetite about what you can do that's great at Goddard, you might ask, well, how do I get here? I'm just a student. Well, you can apply for one of our NASA educational internships. And you would do that by going to intern I-N-T-E-R-N dot NASA and A-S-A dot G-O-V dot gov. Intern dot NASA dot gov. Singular, not plural. Intern dot NASA dot gov. And there you would fill out, uh, you have a basic application and, and, uh, and then there's a secondary application and, uh, that's for specific internships. And then, uh, Hopefully you would get selected, and I'll get into that more in a bit. The only thing I would say about Pathways, uh, again, is that that is not our internship. That is for leading to employment. We're only for student internships.
All right. All right, so how to apply for an internship. Go to intern.nasa.gov and basically fill out the application. You have to fill out your interest profile. And I, th I think that stuff's on a future slide here, but your interest profile and fill in your educational information. And then you get through all that stuff and then you can apply up to 15 internship opportunities. Apply to only the ones you want and not to just anything because what's going to happen is when you, you apply to those 15, the mentors who put those opportunities in the system, they, they will actually see your application. You'll have to write it probably a short essay for them. And, uh, you know, they're going to pick the people that they, that they want. You go, if they like you, you go on a preferred list. Uh, it has to have at least, I believe, five people on that list, five students. And that means any one of those students, are okay. They will. They'll take any one of them, and then we, then we place in the education office. We actually, the education office manages the selections. We don't select, but we manage the process. And so, basically, if you don't fill out an application for a specific internship and just complete the first part of the application. Yes, you will have a completed application. However, the mentors won't see it and they're busy. They're not going to go look in, in, in the list. I mean, that's a, 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 that's a problem we've had in the past where people think, oh, I've completed the first part of the application. I'm done. Now it's two step and it's very competitive. Um, the minimum GPA we have is 3.0. There is a way to, if you have a GPA under that to get it in, um, I can help you with that later, but uh, it's just that the competition is so keen. We had about 6,000 applicants last summer or 2017 for about 460 positions. So that's how competitive it is. Yeah, and so I guess that's, that's really, um, anybody has any questions about how to apply for internships to go through the specific details? I will be happy to help you. It usually opens for the summer in early November or late October, but we usually don't have that many internship opportunities put in until December, but you can at least complete the first part of your application. And uh, again, I encourage you to contact me and uh, and I will be happy to help you with that. The site's a little difficult to use and it's going to be changing somewhat, but, uh, but uh, it, will, um, it will be the same website. And again, I'll be here to help anyone who has questions or needs help. And uh, um, the one thing I have to tell you though, I, because this is a big problem too, letters of recommendations. You're not, your, your application is not considered complete until the letters of recommendation are actually uploaded by the recommender, not when you type in their name and email address. That there, they get sent uh, a link with a password so they can upload the letter, but that letter actually has to be uploaded. That's about all I got. If I'm ready for questions, anybody has anything, I'm here. I know I would be interested, and I suspect our audience would be too, to kind of hear about your personal journey from uh, college freshman to NASA employee. How'd you get there? Mm, how did I get there? Wow, that's a good question. Um, 
Well, I, you know, I, I grew up outside of Philadelphia and I, I got into University of Pennsylvania. I always liked sort of the space program. So what I did is I uh, ended up majoring in astronomy at University of Pennsylvania with a minor in math. And uh, I like, I knew I liked aviation. So I went on to Cornell to get a master's in aerospace engineering. And then I applied for looking for work. And I got a job finally after a couple of years with the, at the Philadelphia Naval Yard, which doesn't exist anymore as a computer programmer. Um, and it was tracking d databases to track uh, maintenance requests through our command from ships. Ship would have a problem. They'd send a maintenance request in by radio, and I would write software that tracked it as it went through us, uh, through our command, the different departments, and then back out to the uh, to the ship. And then I I bought by I, I bought myself some time with that. I got myself into the government. That's what that was really for. And then I applied to uh, Goddard Space Flight Center. I got there in 1990, and I've been here ever since. I've worked in uh, a computer engineer for many years, and uh, I did night law school, worked in the legal office for a few years, and then I came over to the education office because I wanted to help my fellow blind people uh, pursue STEM careers and, um, you know, give back to, uh, to the community. That's, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, that's going to be an inspiration for many of the people that listen to this broadcast, so uh, really appreciate you taking a moment to do that for us. I've got a couple of toss-up questions here um, that any of the uh, presenters can, can jump on if they want to. Suppose I am a uh, visually impaired applicant and I've got a wonderful place to live in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and I'd really like to work from home. Uh, is that, is that, are there any possibilities for that, or are all NASA jobs have to be at a NASA facility? Well, I can only speak, to Ken Silverman here, I can only speak to interns. Our internships, first of all, they're at any NASA center around the country. Um, we focus in our slide presentation, we focus just on Goddard, but all centers have them, and I can help any, again, I can help you no matter what center you want to apply to, but they are 40-hour-a-week internships at the center because it's meant to emulate a, a work experience. So uh, for the summer, that's, we expect you to be at a NASA center. You know, so there are other programs and arrangements where students can, you know, work with, be in universities and work with scientists here, but that's not part of our internship program. You else want to jump on that question or uh, can answer it to everyone's satisfaction? I guess the other thing I might say about regular employment, I mean, we do have flexible work schedules and so forth for people, but, um, you know, most jobs really are at NASA centers. Sometimes they're at contractors, depending on if they have to work with them. Um, but it's very hard here, I would say, to work from home, if that's what you're getting at. Pretty much was the gist of the question, because I know some people um, – really like that, you know, they've got a home environment and a setup that they particularly like, and uh, uh, they're looking for that kind of employment, but that doesn't sound like it's a good match with NASA. Yeah, you can do, you can do like flexible work schedules where you might work one day every two weeks at home and things like that. That's, it's getting better over time. Uh, you know, when I started, you know, it was like 4.30, there was no flex time, there was no nothing. Now we have flex time, we have, uh, 
again, compressed work schedules and things like that. But, but it's, yeah, it, I, I don't know anybody who works full time from home. You, there are some people who work a couple days from home, um, but uh, hopefully that will get better. All right, I'm going to start wrapping up today's webinar. If today's webinar has you interested in this or related employment topics, please check out the Forsyth Center for Employment and Entrepreneurship on the Hadley website. And I'd also encourage you to check out the webinar archives. Our presenters and I all thank you for your interest in the topic. Hadley values your feedback. Please let us know what you thought about today's webinar, and please give us suggestions for future topics. You can do that by dropping us an email to feedback at hadley.edu. That's F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K, the at sign H-A-D-L-A-Y dot E-D-U. I'm going to turn the microphone over to any or all of our presenters if they'd like to make any closing comments before I wrap it up. I'd just uh, like to thank thank the Hadley team for, uh, you know, Larry and Joan and, and Michael for for helping out making this happen and uh, thank all our presenters over the for the uh, for webinar series and, uh, and thank you thank you so much Larry and, and all the people most importantly to all the people who've who've uh, registered and will register and listen to this and the main thing here is to show you that STEM careers are possible if you're blind or visually impaired whether they're at NASA or somewhere else doesn't you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, we'd love to have you work here, but but the point being, you can have a full life if you want to pursue a math career. Go for it. And if I can, if I can give a shameless plug for Hadley, I will because there are a lot of nice math courses there and Nemeth Code courses and English courses. So so if if you're, for example, if you're short in an area and your school system isn't really doing right by you, getting you those that training. Um, you know, go go to Hadley. It's there for you. Uh, the instructors are accessible. And I took last year, I took a transitioning to UEB course. So it wasn't painful. It was a lot of work. They're real serious courses, but it wasn't painful. So it's a great place to go for it. And again, I guess, Larry, you can, my contact information can be up there for anybody who wants to contact me. Is that okay? That's yeah. fine. Thanks so much, Ken, and we want to thank you for uh, your fine service and that of Jordan and putting this all together and having this fine series. It uh, wouldn't have been possible without you two, so uh, much thanks to you and uh, much appreciation from the Hadley side. And again, on behalf of Hadley, thank you to all of you who are listening, and until we speak again, goodbye for now. <laughs>